How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me a blow life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we're E14. To put our disclaimer on the record, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our our own and not the United States Navy or the United States Army or my command. So take it or leave it. You want to introduce our guest today? I would love to. So this is, today we have a man named John Lewis, retired Sergeant First Class in the U.S. Army. Well, the thing about John is he grew up down the road from me. They and go back way. We go back about thirty uh, four years, you know, um, not telling our age or anything. Way. But John grew up in the, well, yeah, I would say the speed, the biggest speed trap in the great state of Louisiana. Would you agree? I, I definitely agree. I got three tickets in that damn town of Woodsworth. But oh well, I was speeding. Even if I was going two miles over the uh, speed limit, I, I was speeding. So they got me. They got me a few times. That's but, uh, the only thing I know of Woodsworth is that it's a speed trap. <laughs> it is. Just if the speed limit is 55, you better go 50. Because <laughs> they calibrate their shit, I think, a little bit to the high end. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Yeah, right. So, John, please tell us a little about yourself, bro. Okay, as a... He said, I'm from the illustrious village of Woodworth in the central Louisiana. And him and I do go back uh, quite a long ways. Um, I joined the Army June 6th of 1995. Yes, that's correct. I did join on D-Day. I served uh, 24 years active duty. Um, I retired in June of 2019. Um, I have four combat deployments, two to Afghanistan, two to Iraq. Those lovely destination spots. And that's pretty much it. I'm married and I have to been married for almost 17 years in April and uh got two boys one's 14 going on 21 and the other's 12 going on 18. So you in the army so y'all don't y'all weren't staying in no five-star hotels in Afghanistan and Iraq huh? You and we reserved that for the air force. <laughs> exactly <laughs> well my first tour for the first uh six months we ate nothing but MREs and we mm. stayed in these old Iraqi buildings and then we got moved Probably about month three, my platoon got moved to a, a civil affairs compound in the middle of town, which had no T-walls, no barriers, no nothing. It was just uh, Iraqis coming in complaining and about, you know, uh, some tank rolled over their crops or whatever. And that kind of became a hotbed. So, man, it was just a, a mess from there. But uh, no, we uh, I haven't been lucky enough to get Air Force accommodations. Yet. <laughs> you know, when you eat MREs, when when you go over there and eat MREs, you're pretty much like one of the first people there, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, 2003 was when the first it first started, and yeah. I came in February 2004, and they had just everything barely set up, and so we had a uh, uh, funny story. We were told uh, by our the unit we were relieving, so hey, you know that area is known as Terrero. We don't go there. And so what did we do? Well, we went there and quickly found out why they didn't go there. <laughs> it was just a, a hotbed of insurgent activity. But, you know, we luckily we cleared it out and we were able to, you know, come back with all of our people, which is uh-huh. kind of was kind of rare in the first part of the war. Now I'm going to talk a little shit real quick because you have it coming to you, John. 
So on, Facebook, on Facebook, right? So John would say something, dogging out the Navy, punking me out on Facebook, sending me like a picture of us, like, I don't know, some Navy, Navy doing Navy stuff. Yeah. And then his army buddies would jump in on it and start messing with me too. We'd have like 10 army dudes and I'm stuck by myself. All I can do is just uh, laugh about it. LOL. That's you know. the thing. They come. There's so many of those army guys. Right. <laughs> they come oh, in trouble. That's why we, we travel in packs. We yeah. travel so like freaking hyenas, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I want to talk about your MOS 13 Bravo, which I'm gonna I'm reading because it's a big one. Field artillery cannon crew member. So explain that for me, man. Would you? Okay, so basically it's the operator level of the cannons, uh, the ones who uh, do the technical stuff to fire it, and the, you know you move up in rank, you, you tactically emplace them. Um, so there's two different types of howitzers the army used, and I'm so pissed because I never got to fire the eight inch. They decommissioned that down gun thing before I, before I uh, could really get get going into a place where I had it, and that was a two or three millimeter round. But the two main ones they have are one five five millimeter shells, and one oh five millimeter shells, and um, at the time I retired, I had been on every modern artillery piece that there was from ninety five to two thousand and nineteen even if you have never decommissioned. So basically we load the guns, uh, fire them, do the maintenance on them, uh, make sure that they're all ready to go. And that's pretty much it. And then you get up to the potential on level, you're, you're emplacing them. You're, you're telling, okay, I want this gun here. I want this gun here. I want this gun there. Um, this is your azimuth fire. Then I control the fire direction center, which is another MOS. They're the kind of the brains of what we do. They talk to the, as the way a fire mission works is you have the forward observers on the hill who are watching the rounds impact and telling the fire direction center where to, where they want them to shoot, what they want them to destroy, what, where the target is exactly. Okay. And then FTC converts the, um, you know, the um, northern and uh, easting to deflection and quadrant, quadrant meaning up and down, deflection meaning left and right. And then that goes to the guns and then the guns fire that. So we're anywhere from 10 to 30 miles away from the target that we're firing. Wow. Wow. So yeah, it's ultimate, it's ultimate indirect fire weapon. I mean, that's what, I mean, also artillery is called the king of battle too. I mean, we kind of like that title. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into some of your deployments. So, I mean, 2004 is when you first got to, was Iraq, right? Yes, sir. Hey, you, I mean, what were you, a uh, PFC, private first flight? What were you? I, I was a staff sergeant. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. You were E6. Yeah, um, I did, kind of didn't stall until I hit E7 and EH, just impossible. Yeah, yeah, that's right, because you joined in 95, and there was still a few years. You had enough time to make E6 before you went there. So you had a lot of junior guys with you, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, all of them. A lot there. of guys that just came in out of the spirit of 9-11. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. We had the same thing. People came in, just nobody's ever seen seen it like that before. So what was so unconventional about my deployments, I've only deployed once with a fit artillery mission. And that was my last deployment to Afghanistan where I trained the Afghans on Russian howitzers. That's a whole nother story in and of itself. Right. So this deployment, my first deployment, we were redesignated into an infantry platoon. And so we had to do the raids and, and the patrols and the hard entries and soft entries and things of that nature. Um, that was the only tour that pretty much every day something happened. Um, my particular platoon um, through no fault of our own, we were involved in at least 90% of the battalion SIG X for that entire year, like directly involved. Either we, either they attacked us or, you know, we saw them and attacked them or we were responding to somebody. Um, so it was very, very heavy 
a very heavy tour. Um, wow. Wow. You know, but my particular battery didn't lose anybody. I had a few people got hurt, um, got, you know, got, got uh, injured from shot wounds from IEDs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I didn't, didn't lose anybody. Our battalion lost a few good guys. Yeah. I got a question. Since you were, uh, um, you know, on the guns and stuff, uh, when you first went into battle, and I know y'all train, I, I trained with the Army too. I don't know, little known fact, but I did some army training before I went to Djibouti. About to mute your mic. That's probably the best training you ever received. No, tell us. Some weapons and merch. So, no, what I was going to say is I always thought I would hesitate when somebody was shooting at me. And we were doing this little thing. I forget the words, but you have three vehicles and you're going into like the forest and there's people that are attacking you from each side. You're, you're getting an ambush. Somebody's yeah. ambushing. You. Yes. Okay. Right. So um, <laughs> we were, we were walking. They put me in the um, the top of the. What are those? What are those vehicles? Gunners hatch. Yes. What are those yeah. vehicles called? Humvees. Yep. They put me up. <laughs> well, I don't Humvee, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't float on water. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> they put me up there, and you know they're like, "All right, anyone, you know, it spins 360, and anyone that comes around, just just shoot them." And I was like, "Why did they choose me, you know, <laughs> like for this?" And so anyway, I thought I might hesitate. But, you know, we were going down and it's bumpy and I'm riding around and all of a sudden out of my peripheral vision on the right, I see someone running and I turn and look at them and they fired at me. Boy, did I take that turn <laughs> fire as, as many rounds as possible. I think I spent the whole little loop on that one guy. But, you know, I, I did. Did you ever feel like in this, this is a real battle that you were in, like like a hesitation or i mean no never hesitation and, and you know i was kind of worried about that too going to yeah. iraq and never had been exposed to combat before none of us were mm-hmm. but the the feeling is you, you just get more pissed off than anything because it's mm-hmm. like how dare you hit how are you shooting at me are you for real yeah. <laughs> are you for real are you sure. shooting at me right now and then you just turn that 50 cal around and, and let that baby purr um, <laughs> it's all it all really comes down to to instinct and something that I, that I told my guys, it may seem a little bit morbid uh, to non-Army folk or non, I don't know, or civilian folk or whatever. But I always said, look, you know, there's a very real possibility we can die right here, right now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Get that in your head, accept it, deal with it, move on. Right. You know, no, nobody's guaranteeing you that you're going to make it back. Okay. Now, if you accept that effect, okay, fine. Now, let's not be stupid. Let's go out here and let's, let's go patrol these streets. And so I think you have to, you have to let that go a little bit. Yeah. And once you quit worrying about, oh my God, I'm going to get hurt or I could possibly get hurt or I could, I could die, whatever. Once you stop worrying about that, you're really able to focus on, on what you're doing. So I like, I like it was, you never, said that. was never like a, oh my gosh, it was like, oh, you son of a gun. How dare you? Look there. Okay. Let me show you, let me show you what I got to play with. You know what they told us? They said, um, when we were going through this training, they said, you never, rise to the occasion you always sink to your highest level of training meaning that if you don't train to it you're not going to just somehow magically like develop jujitsu powers and you know aim it's the whole major of the army is, is train as you fight yeah and that's why we always make sure that all the way up into the first attack we had we always trained as if it was the real thing 
because you know even you remember the coaches in school tell told us all the time you play yeah. like you practice yeah mm-hmm. practice like you so play, you gotta, play like you gotta, you're yeah. gonna go hard during during the game you got to go hard during practice and in that way what you do in practice when it happens to you in real life it becomes second nature right you know, definitely we knew okay i had to i knew i had to tell the okay this guy's gonna flank this guy this guy's gonna go around this back corner right. i'm gonna come through here and, and you know we we knew the technical aspects of it but i guess you know when you're when you're really in the thick of the fire it just it just flows naturally mm-hmm. you know you're you're doing it without almost almost without even having to think about it mm-hmm. right i like what you said about don't get your expectations about coming home too high basically yeah. is what you said and every combat vet that saw real shit like yourself and said that, look, I just, I just act like I want not come at home. If I came home, that was a bonus. I mean, that was their mentality. Yeah. And I like, and I guess that's almost like how you survive because if you don't give a damn about you, all you do is focus on the mission. I got to take that. I got to hit that. I got to kill that and not worry about what happens to you. I, I guess that's gotta be a good way of looking at it for survival purposes. Well, it's, it, it keeps you grounded in the here and now. Right. Am I going to focus on what's going on thousands of miles away? I mean, because I, I, you can't do nothing about it. You're there. Right. You're there whether you like it or not, and you might as well make the best of it. So all that mattered to me was the current situation I was in. And uh, I was a section chief then. So the nine members of my section, and that's all that mattered. And I had the mentality of I was going to do whatever it took. And I mean, whatever it took to bring those folks home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, I couldn't think about going home because I got to keep my wits about me, and I got to live in the here and now. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, that's kind of the best way I, I found it. That's good. No, that's a good outlook. I just want to say something real quick. I made an observation right now. What's that? That the Army and Marines, for sure, they use like their position with chief at the end of it, section chief, whatever. Just saying, maybe the chief is actual rank. So y'all need a quick copying off of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, they call the platoon sergeant the chief of firing battery. So, uh, sorry, chief. <laughs> so you've been, you've been, you did your first two, you did two deployments in Iraq, two deployments in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. What, what's the difference between the two? Like when you're actually in battle, what, what did you find to be like unique to each spot? Ooh, um. Different times. Um, I, I never was in contact. I never had contact in Afghanistan. I mean, there was always a threat there. Yeah. And we were right next to an Iraq or to an Afghan fob. Um, a lot of similarities. Both Iraqi army and Afghan army got their feelings hurt very easily. Yeah. They got offended very easily. Um, I would probably say the the difference, honestly, is, is the weather. Yeah. Because um, in, in I was in Zabul Providence. Um, in uh, East Afghanistan and it would snow so bad that I could barely see my hand in front of my face. But I mean, it it was, it was, um, the, the difference is, um, I think more money was put into Iraq. You can kind of judge by their dining facilities in Iraq where they're like, you know, almost like restaurants. And then you got dining facilities in Afghanistan. They're still inside tents. Right. Mm. Right. I mean, the food's good. I mean, they do the cooks do the best they can. You know, but um, you could tell the 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 more money was put into Iraq. And Afghanistan almost kind of became like the forgotten war, you know, because of the whole Iraq and Saddam thing. And right, you know, we right. I think we really forgot, you know, okay, we went to Afghanistan because the Taliban wouldn't turn over Bin Laden to us, mm-hmm. and that's why we're there. And we decided, okay, well, we're just going to change your government. 
and as opposed to Iraq, got mixed feelings about that, whether or not we should or should have gone. But Iraq was more, the more the more popular war. That's the that's the biggest difference that I could say. We don't get too political on this show, but I do want to know your feelings. Yeah, I was getting, I was yeah. Ready. yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I, you don't have to go into it real deep if you don't want to. But if, mm. for someone that went and fought and and Glad and, and, and lost people, saw saw all of that stuff. How do you feel about us pulling out of those countries? You know, well, suddenly, so suddenly. Um, it it was a huge slap in the face. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's. And I know you both can understand. I use the term soldiers, but I mean sailors and airmen and seamen, and whatever. You know, all of us go down there and we do our part. You know, the government says, okay, hey, go do your part, go kill these bad guys and clear out this area so we can start doing ours. And then when we do our part and then the government doesn't do theirs. Yeah. Like, what was it? Well, where are you? You're kind of stuck. You know, I mean, well, why did you send me to that place? And why did you send me there in the first place? Right. You know, if you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain, then, then what are we doing now? Why are we wasting lives? Right. Why Why'd you send me away from my family and possibly make my kids, uh, you know, fatherless? Yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. it, exactly. people don't understand how hard it is. Like, we go through real, real uh, life ha- continues yeah. when you go on deployment. Right. So, like, you lose loved ones, you lose, miss birthdays, you miss holidays and nobody really understands that and then when you say well i went over there for nothing or feel like you went over there for nothing that can hurt that's like a year of your life gone for what because you you know john for so many years i learned what i knew it was like to be the guy leaving right i didn't know what it was like to be the person left behind and i did that i did that Uh, two months after we got married jamie deployed to Djibouti for a year Oh my God! Reservist. That's back when she was reservist. She's active duty now. She's a mm-hmm. counselor, a uh, uh, recruiter. I'm sorry. Before she was a reservist air traffic controller. So she did a year over there. Two months. We got married in September. She left in November, right before Thanksgiving. Didn't come back until right before Thanksgiving the next year. And I tell you what, I'd much rather be the guy leaving. Yeah. Because not because I didn't appreciate what I did. I knew it was important, but the weight on my shoulders was a lot more being the person left behind because, you know, kids and school and excuse me, and all the responsibilities, you have to think about yourself, your spouse is deployed and the kids and this and that when you're the one deployed, you got to keep yourself alive and your people, right? Your men or women. I tell you what, that was more stressful to me being a guy being left behind for, so all those spouses that get left behind, you know, hats off to you. Well, my wife definitely had the harder part of the, of the bargain. Yeah. You know, um, all I, all I got to do is point and shoot back. It's easy, you know, pretty good at that. But you know, when you're coming back and then she's been handling it for a year and then you try and work your way back into it, your kids don't really know you, you know, I mean, it's, it's a sacrifice. Um, My, my first two deployments were uh, five months apart and both of them were year long deployments. Mm. Wow. And yeah, go army, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, it was difficult, you know, to, 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 to do that. And, and there's still, I say, there's still a lot of stuff that, you know, you come back with and yeah. you, know, you, you have to, you have to let it go. You have to, you have to talk about it and, you know, and get it off your chest and you yeah. get kind of have to accept it. Okay. You know, 
one of my favorite sayings is, is it is what it is. Yeah. It's not what I would like it to be. It is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, going back to what you said about having to disconnect from home so that you could focus on what's over there. I get that because I, it was at a point and I, I, you know, worry about the kids, worry about Heath, but all, but at, at some point I had to disconnect from home just to, just to focus and, and keep myself going across the world. Can't have your mind in two places at once. True. And luckily for me, like all my deployment time, like we say normal fleet deployment, like like West Coast or East Coast United States have been those six month deployments that we were used to. I left my first year right before these year ship deployments started, you know, before that crap started, which is right after 9-11. I left my ship in November of 2000, my first ship in November 2001. Right after four months after I left, they they left on an 11 month deployment right after I left. So then I did other ships. I did a ship in Italy, which we we left, but it was only like a few months at a time. Japan, we were always gone, but the most we were gone at three months was three months. That's the most we would we would leave, but we were doing it a lot. So that year straight, man, that's got to, oh man, I can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine. I did it, but I wasn't, I wasn't the one leaving. I was the one sticking behind. And yeah. that's tough. That's real tough. And It's a nice little chunk of time that you miss. That's, you know, that's a whole lifetime, it seems like. You're speaking about coming back and there's things you have to work out, obviously. Did you have, and you don't have, you tell me as much as you want. We don't have to, uh, you don't t- tell me everything that you don't feel comfortable with, but what, what kind of issues you had to deal with come back? Cause you come back from some, from some real shit. Well, and I would say I was at a, more of a disadvantage because I came back from two deployments instead of one. Right. Because there was only like a five month gap in between my two deployments. That's and not it. I moved. Yeah. Got married. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was horrible. So um, I developed a little bit of a drinking problem. Yeah. Um, just trying to put everything processed, the first and second tours together. Um, a lot of anger issues, a lot of PTSD. Um, you know, and it took me it took me a long time to get back um, to really get back to somewhat, I guess, not who I was before. You'll never be that person again. But it took me to get back to somewhat normal. Um, went through a lot of therapists, a lot of counselors. You know, my wife and I had a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, through that time, and it was just um, just something that was always being anxious, always being watchful, you know, always being on guard and 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 nervous about you know, you know, I hear something at the door. Yeah, I don't know what that is on the other side of it, yeah. you know. And I'm just coming back, so if I'm if I'm dead asleep, and let's say a laundry basket gets dropped, I'll flip on the other side of the couch and go around in the prone right. and kind of look. Okay, what was that that just happened? And it's just just instinct. So it takes you a while to to break that. Um, you know, um, I still deal with it a little bit now today. Um, luckily, um, I got a good family has brought me back, and um, you know, we're building those relationships still a day at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 kind of hard because you know, I don't expect people to understand. Yeah, and I think that's what they try to do. Um, but you'll never understand what I went through any more than I'll understand what my wife went through. Right. You, know, you weren't there. You weren't in those shoes. And you can't you can't really there's no there's not an appropriate verbiage to describe what I went through or even what she went through, for that matter. Right. You know, being alone and, and with the kids and all that stuff. And so, um, Miss, you know, I've had, I've had some dark days. Um 
but um you know those are years behind me and uh, i put all that behind me with the help of my family and my friends and you know you just kind of just it happens you know i'm not there anymore well you know i think that what we don't hear enough about is what ptsd looks like because it i mean it can look many different ways as we've learned going through this podcast and stuff yeah. but what we don't really what we don't really there's no pamphlets you can say all yeah. right yeah. well he's gonna um freak out when there's fireworks and they and he might drink a little much but you know he's dealing with you know what i mean there's nothing that can prepare your family to live with someone struggling with ptsd there's no standard cookie cutter format. Right. Right. And I think you're spot on when you say that, Jamie. Um, but I think also, the, I mean, to, to this day, the only side effect to have is I still don't like large crowds of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely understand that. Stand it. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm if I'm if I'm in a building or something like a concert, OK, that's fine or something. But if I'm like having people brush up behind me and brush up in front of me, dude. I tell you what, man. I have to get me out of there. The thought of like Disney World drives me completely insane. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. We're, yeah. we're like, uh, no, first of all, um, anytime, I mean, anytime like the, the restaurant may be overpacked or yeah, whatever, like we both are like, I won't go. Mm, no, I won't go because I don't know. I mean, I, I keep thinking in my mind and I haven't seen the shit you've seen, brother, not even close, but I, I know what's out there. Yeah. And just a thought, that's a big crowd. I mean, if I was somebody that wanted to hurt people, I could take out a lot of people in this restaurant. That's, but I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's the shit I think about. And that's just but, it. I mean, it's always you think about the worst case scenario. Though. Yeah, I mean, that's the way that we're wired. Right. You know, we think about okay, what do we always think about going outside the gate? The worst possible case scenario, and that's what we train for, and that's what right. we're trained to try and to to respond to or to or to mitigate. Right. You know, what's the worst that could possibly happen? Like, it takes years to get rid of that programming. I think you would understand this, John. Like, do you sit with your back to the door in a in a place? Yeah, yeah, no, no. No. I can't. Even, it drives me crazy. Just my back to a wall in a corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. Jamie, Jamie's probably worse than I am about it. Jamie's like super vigilant when it comes to going out to eat or it, anywhere. You no, know, it picks and chooses when it is. Sometimes I can sit there and I'll be okay. Sometimes uh, I can't focus until I move my chair around the table. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it puts I, us all differently. Yeah, it does. But on a lighter note, so I, I read through your stuff. I saw a little bit of Macedonia. Macedonia, yes. Macedonia, I'm Macedonia. sorry. I'm sorry. Macaroni. Macaronia. Macaronia. No, Macaronia. No, Macaronia is for you. Uh, oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, hey, hey, I'm from Louisiana, dude. Give me a break. <laughs> so, so is John. He lived there, though. <laughs> so, how was that? I went to the one where I should learn how to pronounce words. Yeah, which words? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They, have all their, they have all their teeth over there. <laughs> They're classy over there. <laughs> so, so well, that's near Greece, right? Do what? Is that in near Greece? In Europe? yeah, that's right above Greece, actually. Tell me about it, man. I've never been there. Um, it was actually uh, one of my shortest tours. It was two months. We we're just doing guard duty on a, on an installation. Um, it's north of Greece. Um, it's actually the birthplace of Mother Teresa. Wow, I didn't know uh, that. The city we were in was a uh, Skopje. Um, so it just just kind of like a just feels like very European. Mm-hmm. Um, very um, not poor, but not really middle class either. Kind of somewhere in between. Right. Um, yeah. People are pretty peaceful. Um, though, though, if you if you're in Macedonia and you mention the Albanians, then Macedonians get pissed. And if you mention the um, 
the people in Kosovo, everybody gets mad. So, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a whole, ever since Yugoslavia broke up into those countries, you know, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Macedonia, Kosovo, um, Albania, you know, it, it's all been, a, and then Milosevic did with his ethnic cleansing, trying to wipe out the ethnic Albanians. Oh, um, it was just, you know, it was, it was just, uh, didn't really get to go out too much a whole lot. Um, they had to stay on the base, but I mean, it, it was pretty chill. Seems like the people for the most part were pretty nice. You know, they hid their disdain of the other former Yugoslavians pretty well. So, yeah, so you need to do nothing because the army hates fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're allergic to it. <laughs> and I have no fun at all. We're allergic oh, to fun in nice duty stations. <laughs> Don't like that either. That's, we can't do that. And then another, we spent two or three years in Germany, correct? That is correct. Yeah. I was in uh, Bamberg, which is southern Germany. It's in Bavaria. And oh, wow. I absolutely loved it. Um, it's just the culture is completely different. You know, you got two types of Germans. Either they're really mean or they're really nice. There is no in between. Yeah. You're not going to get one that's in between. Um, a lot of the younger Germans are kind of, you know, trying to you know raise up on you and trying to be punks. But a lot of the older Germans kind of remember, you know, what we did down there and you know, how we helped get rid of the Nazi party. And, um, you know, they were just fine. But Germany as a whole, the um, monasteries brewed beer. There was like uh, over like a thousand different types of beer in Bamberg alone. Yeah. I thought they like Germany. They follow the rules over there, like big time follow the rules. Like <laughs> if you're crossing the, the street, you better be in that crosswalk. Get you oh, don't you throw up. I mean, there is no such them. thing as police brutality in Germany. What they have is they have these batons. <laughs> They have this little rubber ball on the end of it. And so it'll hit you once and it'll hit you like a hundred times. So go pop. pop. <laughs> and we call them the repeater beaters. Repeater beaters. <laughs> you know, no, no such thing as police brutality in Germany. If you don't cooperate with the police, if the police say, hey, I want to get some blood sample, they're going to get blood. So I thought they will get blood. <laughs> so when I saw your your Germany tour on your list of duty stations, your list of deployments, I thought, I didn't think monasteries. I thought, like you said, cold beer or hot beer. I don't know how they drink it over there. So did you get a, did your tolerance build up? Your beer tolerance? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> um, I can't even stay in American beer now. I mean, I, I rarely drink nowadays. I haven't really drank a lot in the past three, four years. Right. Uh, but when I do, I always reach for German beer. German beer. I like German beer. American beer is like water compared to German beer. Piss water. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we have exactly. we have learned that in our travels. We went to Dublin. Uh, Guinness is ten times better over there than it is in yeah. America. German beer is is got nothing on what we have here. And then Italy, their wine is just amazing. It's it's nothing compared to oh, the stuff like, we have on the shelves it's here. Like no, so, it's like so fresh. I mean, just, you don't taste this. You know, the sulfates in the one here yeah, in America. It's fresh like it's, water. It's like water. And I wanted to circle back because you said Germany had the, some of them, the young guys, younger kids or younger people over there would try to like rise up and like Billy Badass. I was stationed in Sardinia, which is, I don't know if you know, it's an island off the coast of Rome. So it's Italian, but it's not attached to Italy. About a, it's about a 45 minute flight from Sardinia to Rome. So it's pretty close. Right. And they were the same way. Like the older people were really nice. Super nice. But these younger people, right before we, because the Navy left there in 08, I think, early 08. I was, I left in mid 07. And 
then they knew we were leaving and all that. And there was a, the housing over there that where all the military stayed was called Trinidad. And you're driving to Trinidad, there's stop signs. So that people were uh, spray painting Nazi symbols, calling us Nazis. So that was the younger people. And then the younger people were quick. Like if we said something, they're ready to fight. Like toward the end. When, we first, when I first got there, it never really happened to me. I wasn't really going out a lot. But it had, I, a lot of my friends would tell me this, or I'd see it when I was walking through the town. And it was weird. Like, like they were cool until we got ready to leave and they wanted to show their ass. Yeah. It was a, it was a weird, weird environment. And that's all I remember about that. I think it's a whole European thing too. The younger ones don't really know their history. Right. Um, And so they kind of think that, Oh, they got it. They can do better than the older people. And just the mindsets are completely different. And it's not to say every young person I met in Germany was was a no. I made a lot of good friends there. Right. Um, I used to go out with a bunch of German security guards. We'd go out to the bars and pubs together and you know, drink, eat, and have a good old time and nothing, nothing would happen. But it's just kind of the mentality of the, you know, kind of like the younger people here. You know, sometimes they want to step up and they think that their their ways are the best. And you just kind of just look at them, smirk, shake your head and Knowing they ain't gonna do nothing. That's all you can do. That's that's all you can do. And so you were, you you retired in June of uh, nineteen, right? Yes, sir. Tried for twenty four years of service. Now you started had to fight a fight a demon or fight a adversary on the civilian side. Well, actually, it started on the army side. Oh, really? Um, I first uh, I diagnosed with a cancer in my left knee um, in twenty fourteen. Oh, wow. And I just got to Fort Drum, New York, and that's where I had the surgery and radiation taken it out of. And then I got out the Army in 2019. That November, I realized, hey, there's a bump here. It's not really normal. So um, that turned out to be another bout with cancer. And that was in my upper thigh. And then uh, recently in 2021, um, I had it in my, um, my lower abdomen. It's the same type of, of cancer. It's called a sarcoma. Hmm. And um it's a, it's a fatty cancer and it's 1% of all cancers that are diagnosed. And I'm going through chemotherapy now. Um, I'm about to start my fourth session, go to the hospital for my fourth session on Monday. Um, they want me to try and get through six sessions of chemo. And, you know, they say there's a, there's a 5% chance that this is going to do anything, but it's worth a shot. And I did okay. a little bit of radiation. So it's trying to, it's progressively trying to climb up to, to mm. get to my heart and my lungs. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's a lot to deal with, but, you know, how much of it can I really control? Yeah, I mean, I can't control any of it, you know, of it, really. The doctor's like, um, well, you know, it's this is, you know, this is blah, blah, doom, gloom, gloom and doom. And yeah, probably going to die. So, OK, well, we all die anyway. So, I mean, it's nice to get a little heads up as to possible win, but I don't believe numbers and I don't believe odds. and. I don't believe in odds, and and um, I believe I believe in God. I make no secret. I'm a Christian man. Yeah, we too. Christian too. Man. Yeah, um, I make no apologies about that. Um, so I, I trust in Christ, and um, He puts me where He wants me to be at this particular point in time. Right. And uh, I'm fighting this thing, and sometimes there are some dark days. You get a little bit kind of overwhelmed, not feeling real good after the chemotherapy. Is right a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. But um, and at the same time, you know, you, you you do what you can. Yeah. You control your attitude and you control your, your outlook. And you do what the doctors tell you to do. And 
leave the rest in his hands. Right. So is this your so third time going through chemo? Uh, it's my first time through chemo, actually. Um, okay. The only reason that they had chemo this time is because the recurrences were close together. Got it. Okay. So okay. I did. I just did radiation before. Obviously, radiation didn't really work out too well. So it's like, okay, well, here we are. All right. And I tell you what, those odds—they don't take into account the power of the good Lord. They don't exactly. take into account uh, take into account of uh, Billy Badass John Lewis's uh, spirit. Yeah. You know, that's just it's all numbers, number crunchers. They take they take a whole bunch of people and they add them together and divide by this and get odds, right? So yeah. they don't take it. It's not the no, human factor. They don't, they don't take any human factor. So I kind of I kind of made the doctor, the chemo doctor, and my wife kind of like have their eyes popped wide open because you know the doctor's telling me this is my wife you know bless her heart she's emotional she gets emotional mm-hmm. and so she's crying a little bit and doctor looks at me and saying well what are you thinking i said well if this freaking thing wants to fight let's freaking fight yeah heck yeah and did i used uh, other non-radio word that i can say right. and, um, <laughs> you know i mean it, it's it's just my mentality you know Okay, something wants to fight. Let's fight. I don't back down from no terrorists in Iraq or Afghanistan. I don't back down from from anything. Right. If something wants to come at me and fight me, okay, well, we're gonna fight. We'll throw down. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe this cancer does get me in the end. But you know, like you said, you know, the worst thing you could possibly do ever in life is is give up. Right. right. You know, that's dealing with anything, you know. Um and my wife's like, you know, well, how are you going to handle this? I mean, what has it sound to you, this chemo treatment? I said, well, it sounds like shit, but what am I going to do? Go home? <laughs> right. Take my ball and go home. <laughs> exactly. I mean, who might as well deal with it? You know, we have to do, we have to do what we have to do. Now, I'm not really too enthusiastic about Monday. I'm really kind of dreading it, actually. But yeah. what am I going to do? Stop. Right. You know? I guess I got to see this thing through. Kind of got to take it the same mentality you took through the war. You know, yeah. I might, I might go, but not today. Not this fight. Not, not this. today, ISIS. Not today. Yeah. Not today. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I got to be kind of honest with you. You were there in the height of the war, mm. there in Iraq, Afghanistan, and I bet the odds of you surviving cancer is probably better than you surviving where you were at in your earlier in your career, because it was, it was bad. It was well, bad. I mean, you know, I mean, good, good things don't never come easy. It's true. Good point. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's my mentality, you know, okay. This thing wants to try and beat me. Okay. Let, let it try. Right. Let it, let it do all its tricks. You know, I'm going to do what the doctors tell me and put my faith in the Lord for the rest. And I can do mm-hmm. that's all I can do. You know, right. I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to let this thing defeat me. Right. You know, I'm not going to give up on life just because some doctor tells me I have a 5% chance of making it through the next five years. Yeah, I really could not care less about your odds or your statistics or whatever. They don't account for a lot of things, and right. you know, I don't. I don't have to listen to it. You know? No, I mean, do do you? And it ain't like it's the first time you've been in somebody's crosshairs. Yeah, that's true. Sure. <laughs> and you're that's true. You're sitting here with us today. <laughs> How's your family? You know, how I know. Like, I remember um, not too long ago, I got told I had a brain aneurysm for two weeks. I sat on the couch and Heath was like, yeah. you know, you yeah. just gave up and he was very upset with me. Um, I didn't take the same mentality you did, but uh, it turns out I didn't have one, but um, you know, how's your family? Because I know like Heath was the one keeping me up when I was just giving up. Yeah, how's your bad. family? 
Uh, they're the ones that keep me going. Um, They're like, you know, I mean, well, my wife, she didn't really know what to say because she's never gone through it and she don't want to say the wrong thing. And so I I really draw a lot of strength from my two boys. Um, They just tell me, you know, hey, I understand. You know, I empathize with what you're going through. It must be hard. You know, keep going. You know, you guys stick around for us. You know, and and nothing like your kids telling you that, that they want you to stick around for them. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's just like, okay, well, I'm gonna go in here and keep doing my best and keep pushing at it and keep pushing through and enjoy as much time with my kids as I can. You know, when, when I was three, two weeks before I turned four, my father died. And so I never had a father really growing up. So I always try to give my kids what I what I wanted when I was their age. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, just just assurance of being around and being able to give them that advice, and sometimes maybe giving them a swift kick in the keister when needed. Right, you got to. But um, you know, it's um, you know, it's the boys keep me going a whole lot. You know, um, they're my whole world. You know, those two those two boys, and I wouldn't trade them for nothing, and I'd do anything for them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you sound like an awesome dad, brother. I know you're. Awesome warrior in the field of battle, and you're and unfortunately, you know it sucks that you're you're finally spending time with your family after 24 years of never seeing any, never seeing them, and now you're fighting another freaking adversary, and that just it saddens me to hear that. Just that you have to go through that after knowing you for you know 30, 40 years, and knowing you're you're a damn good person and a hell a hell of an American. And I just, I pray, I'm going to pray for you and your family. And it sounds mm-hmm. to me like your, your wife is one hell of a woman. Yeah. She's strong. Yes. And, uh, you're, you're strong. Yeah, you are. And you're and blessed your kids to have are her. strong. Wow. Yeah. Amazing family. And as we, as we're getting ready to wrap up. Well, as we're John, getting ready to wrap up, John, I got a very important yes. question. What was Heath like before? Oh, that's not what I was going to ask. <laughs> um, before he was the- very good. Always encouraged me to do my homework <laughs> in school. And uh, go to church and be on time for Sunday school, so we learn about the Lord. Uh, <laughs> it was me. We younger, yep. I was uh, Reverend Heath. Are your pants Reverend on fire Heath. right now? Because you are <laughs> like Reverend Heath. Preach, preach, preach. I lie. <laughs> no, for reals though, John. What can you tell? I don't give a shit if they're Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or some or civilian that's 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 getting kicked in the face, man. What are you gonna tell them? What are you gonna tell them? What would you tell them? Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. No matter what, I don't give a damn how. If you got to walk, if you got to crawl, if you got to stagger, I don't care what you have to do. You know, you keep moving forward. You've got to keep moving forward. Um, whether you move forward by an inch or by a mile, as long as you're moving forward, you know, just don't freaking quit. You know, um, life is not really guaranteed to us to be easy you know um i would say whatever it is that 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 you're going through whoever's going through um if you're in a bad situation run get out of there um run to somebody that can help um if you're in a situation where there's disease or or ptsd or something like that you know you have to find your support system and lean on but but regardless don't ever give up you know because once you give up you're dead you know, once you give up, once you say I quit, then that's it. Game's over. And you got to you got to fight for every single instance you get. 
And, you know, my life hasn't been easy. I'm sure a lot of people have had it harder than me. But I'm saying just suck it up and don't give up. Keep pushing forward with everything you have. And sooner or later, I promise you, once you get to the other side, it's going to be it's going to be better. You know, this the a coach of Phoenix Sun had, had a saying that I, I really love and I've adopted into my work for and it's everything you want is on the other side hard. Love that. I love that. If you give up, you're never going to get there. Love that. That is perfect. That is perfect. That's a perfect way of looking at things. And before we close out, I want to just ask you, please stick around for a minute. And I'd like to talk to you after we're done. Okay. Sure. And thank you for everything you've done for this country. Oh, thank, thank you. you for, thank you. God bless you, brother. And with that, we appreciate wish, it. And with that, we wish you fair winds. And following seas. Thank you.